Boy, it's great to see you guys this morning. Um, a quick question before we start, and, and that is that how many of you would love to take a vacation to Florida? Raise your hand if you would love to take a vacation to Florida. Anybody? Somebody I've been there before. It's hot. It has mosquitoes. Right? All of us. We have a few in the back. Yes, that's right. Well, I say that to set you up for an announcement. That the, and, it, and it's not that happy of an announcement. It's not. But yet, and I'm not going to Florida, okay? But... Ryan Spoon, who has been serving as our creative arts director, he and his wife, Lanisa, are leaving us and moving back to Florida. I don't understand why. Can you figure that out, right? Why to leave Anderson, South Carolina to go back to Tampa, Florida? But I just wanted to share that with you. We'll be praying over them next week as they depart us. But yet, I want to say what an amazing job that Ryan has done for us, especially in that of developing our church at home experience with people. God knew exactly what we needed during this time. Who knew that we would not have church for three months in a building, right? Who knew that? But yet the Lord did. And so we're very thankful for his gifting and how he's affected all of our lives so greatly. So Ryan and Lanisa, next Sunday will be their last Sunday with us as they move to serve another church in Tampa, Florida. And uh, we'll all be going with them. So we listen, really, the, let's pray for them and we'll pray for them next week. So grab your Bibles as we start our study today and turn to the book of John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 1. And, and so we have been in the last six weeks talking about the church and what we discovered written by Luke, given by God in the book of Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. We're not going to read there. You can read that later on. We found this design or this blueprint for the church. And what we realized through understanding some historical aspects of all of this is that somewhere around 314 AD, when Constantine professed Christianity, that he legalized Christianity, and all of a sudden the church made a shift. The church changed from that of being a movement based upon a man, and that is Christ Jesus, and, a mo- and that of a, an event, that of the resurrection. The church moved to that of being an institution. And when the church made that transition, it brought us, it brought us into what we know today as the Dark Ages. And, and so during that time, the church almost went dormant because it moves away from that blueprint that we find in the book of Acts chapter 2. So there were four points as we talked about this with you here on campus, with those of you that are worshiping us with church at home, that we've talked about these four things for the last six weeks together. First, we started about to learn. We talked about the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching was very much that of the gospel. So it led us to believe and understand that you and I are called to have gospel conversations with others and that we're to live our life out in gospel action. And then the second thing we realized was that we're called to care, that we have this amazing freedom that God has given us in Christ, but that freedom is with purpose. And that freedom was given to you and I to serve and to care for others. So we're free to care for others. He freed us to serve others. And in the third week, we talked about that of fellowship, and we broke that up into two weeks because we talked about community. And what does this really look like for you and I to uh, love one another, love our neighbor as ourselves? And so we explored that for two weeks together. And then today we're going to talk, as we finish this up for the very last, we're going to talk about worship. So here's a thought. When I say worship, When I say the word worship, as it pertains to church, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Those of you that are in the room, those of you that are joining us from church at home. So what is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say worship? 
So some of you are near someone, I know, you know, and, and others are worshiping at home, with church at home. So for a moment, turn to the person next to you and say to them, what was the first thing that came to your mind when you heard the word worship? We do that for a moment. Just turn to someone around you, those of you that are in your home and say, that's what, that's what it said. You know, that's what it means to me. Now, here's what I want you to do. Okay. I want you to hang on to that word, hang on to that thing that first come to your mind and turn to John chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read this narrative to you together. And I think this is going to help us to understand what worship really is biblically. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany when Lazarus was, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Historically, and we know this through the synoptics that we believe this is Simon's house. Simon was the leper which Jesus healed. And so we continue to read on, Martha served, Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. And when I say that, all the essential oil people, you know, your ears kind of like, like a radar. They kind of go off, right? Because you know what that means. And, they, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he, and, and he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge over the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I love John's writing because John just goes right to the point, doesn't he? Verse 7, and Jesus said, Leave her alone. So that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you. But you do not always have me. So for a moment, can we explore the characters in this narrative? Because the characters in this narrative give us some context about what this means about worship. And what this says to you and I. We have Mary. Mary has seen Jesus as a friend. A friend to her. A friend to her brother Lazarus. A friend to her sister Martha. But when she looks around the room, man, she sees a lot of other characters in, in this narrative. She sees Simon, who once was a leper. And just being in Simon's house would have been unthinkable. In fact, in this culture, being in Simon's house as a leper, that it would have been absolutely illegal, much less to have a dinner party with him. But yet he's been cleansed by Christ. We see Martha serving. This reminds us of a narrative also that we find in the book of Luke chapter 10, very similar to this we see her brother Lazarus I mean they had buried him you know and Jesus shows up they thought he was showing up late and what does Jesus do he reverses death is exactly what he does and Lazarus is alive we see the disciples the 12 who really again we're going to find out they have really no clue about what's going on in the room and what Jesus is doing but Jesus is showing them amazing patience and love within their life even Judas is there but how does she see herself? That's, that was my thought as I, I, I began to kind of imagine this setting. How does Mary see herself, but how does Jesus see her also? And so I believe that worship starts with a couple of things. Worship in our lives starts, one, with how or, or who we are. Worship starts with who we are. We have to have an understanding of that. I think worship starts with an understanding of who Jesus is. And also starts with this understanding of, of how he sees us. It is. That how we see our lives in the light of our own brokenness and his greatness 
It's like, well, since I've already mentioned Florida, I have to talk about the beach for a moment. You know, Mark, stop that. It, it is the beginning of the 4th of July week, you know. That's why we have the flag up to celebrate, and we'll celebrate with you next week on the 5th. But yet, you know, it's like when you stand on the beach and you look at the vastness of the ocean and you realize that how vast God is and how minuscule you are in the, in the very world in the creative order. It's how we see God and how that translates into how God sees you and I. Because when life really comes down to it, I think what it comes down to this is what we value and how we're valued is what life comes down to. That they're not mutually exclusive, but they go hand in hand. So First Peter chapter 2 really tells us about how we should see ourselves. Here's what Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. So by the word or statement own possession, then right next to that prize possession, because that's exactly what that means. He goes on to say that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's worship. That is worship because it starts with our identity marker. It starts with who we are, understanding that of who God is and who we are. It starts there. And then it's always connected with the gospel story because look what he says next. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because what I, what I understand, it's the gospel that brings us to this conclusion of who we are. It is. We've been broken since the book of Genesis. God shows up and he says, what? I'm going to fix this. He spends thousands of years on our behalf, simply reinforcing that of love and grace and mercy for our lives. Then at the right time, what does he do? He sends Jesus as that gift for you and I in in this world. He sends Christ. And and then what, what happens is that Christ gives himself and he's raised on the third day and he defeats the grave. Why and for who does he do all this? And immediately you say, oh, he does all that for me. Well, actually, if we understand scripture, he does it first for the glory of the father. And then he does that. We are, we are the recipients of that great love that God shows. And that establishes our value. That's why Mary kneels and does what she does. Because she knows how Jesus sees his creation. And I think that's what you need to understand. And I have to understand as we move forward in talking about worship is that how does God see us? And this is exactly what it does because this worship that she gives Jesus is absolutely scandalous that she's not concerned about what anyone else thinks in the room about her, but she knows her position in Christ. She knows her position in Christ that she is his possession because any uncertainty about her knowing her position in Christ would have led her to do something totally different than this radical, scandalous act of worship that she does by falling at his feet, by simply anointing his feet with everything that she had in life. And then she dries his, his feet with her hair, a prized possession. What is that? A prized possession is... The thing that you show people when you have them over for dinner. And I think that works well with this thought. So here it is. You have someone over for dinner, right? And you say, hey, can I show you something really cool? And they say, sure, show me something really cool. And so you bring this out and you, you sit this stool there and you say, there it is. And they say, wow, I have never seen anything that amazing. You say, Mark, it's a stool. I know, use your imagination, okay? Remember, the Bible is written for you and I to use our imagination with not changing text, but yet that we can use our imagination as we read the text. 
And they look at it. I have never seen anything as amazing as that. That is unbelievable. I am so glad that you showed me that. And you step back and say, yeah, it's the only one in the entire world like it. And I have it. You see, that's the definition of a prized possession. And, And when I lay that over the top of this story, what I realize is this, that I have to wrap my mind around God's great, amazing love for Mary. And I have to wrap my mind around God's great and amazing love for me, for you, for I. Because I think about this expanse of the universe. I think about the galaxies. I think about the ocean. I think about the mountains, you know. I I think about all the vastness, the Grand Canyon, all the vastness of God's creation. And what I realize is this, that you and I are the very pinnacle of his creation. Do you realize that? We're the very pinnacle of God's creation, that we're his prized possession, If Jesus is going to have somebody over for dinner, guess who he is going to show off to his dinner guest? He's going to show off me. Isn't that an amazing thought, right? This, he drags me out. He puts me in front of everybody at the dinner and he says, hey, this is the only one in the world like it. Mark, some of you are thinking, wow, I'm glad you're the only one in the world like it. That's what Reba thinks I would say. Yes, but we are God's absolute unquestionable prized possession in life. And when I lay that over this story this morning, oh, what I realize is this is how Mary does this. This is what drives her to come to the very feet of Jesus. What does Peter say about how you and I should see ourselves, that we belong to God, that my life totally belongs to him. What that means is this, everything about me, Everything about my life, everything about my family, my relationships, my resources, or the word money, you know, that's when, in church we say the word resource because we don't want to say the word money. Money, it all belongs to him. My family, Mary pours out everything that she has in this life for him. All that I am is his. And let me tell you, that changes everything. That's what we realize. That changes everything. That I'm not God, nor do I own anything. Have you ever thought that that's the way we live? That I'm not God and I don't own anything. And maybe you're thinking, well, if that's the case, then my house payment is due tomorrow and I'm not going to pay it. You know, because it belongs to God and I'll just let God pay that. Well, can I tell you that... um we have a spare room. The rent is cheap. Okay. At our house. Understand that. Yeah. Because you're going to get thrown out of your house. Most likely that's going to happen. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we live with this focus and lens of life that I'm not God and I don't own anything. And that flies in the very face of the breath of the community and culture that we live in, that I've been bought with a price that, that, that I'm not my own. How could Mary, a Jewish woman, kneel at the feet of Christ. And as scandalous as this story is, she takes her life savings and she pours it at his feet and she dries his feet with her hair. How could she have done that apart from knowing her position in Christ? Worship, true worship in our lives begins by knowing who we are, who God is, and how God sees us in life. That we're his own possession. Hey, you don't belong to yourself. 
I think that's something that you have to realize today, that you don't belong to yourself, that you belong to him. And so that leads me into this this act of worship that Mary has enacted here with Jesus. So what I realize is this, that second thing is worship is lived out through drastic acts of service. Because what is the the first thought that came to your mind when I said worship? And maybe you thought it was words and maybe you thought it was music and maybe you thought it was that an expression of worship like raising your hands or or singing or, or something like that. Maybe you thought it was one. But if this is about worship, if this text is about worship, then it must also be about service. And I think that's important that we connect worship to service because worship of God does not terminate on words. Realize that it doesn't terminate on words, but worship of God translates into action. It translates, it translates into action. There's a big truth here in this narrative. I think that we have to get this morning. And that is this, that worship calls for us to bring something tangible to God. That worship causes our calls for you and I to bring something very tangible to God in our worship. Well, what do you mean, Mark? What, What are you saying? It means that we bring ourselves. It means that we bring our time to God in worship. That is our worship, our resources, our gifting. Because what is the standout element of this narrative? When I read it, what is it? Is it that Simon the former leper is there? No, because even John doesn't even mention that. Is it Lazarus the former dead guy? He says Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. But it doesn't even refer back to Lazarus formerly being dead and brought to life by Christ. No, other than Jesus, other than Jesus in this story, the standout element of this story is the gift that Mary brings in her act of worship to Jesus. There's more conversation in this story about the value and the gift than anything else. In fact, if you look at the complaining of Judas here, Judas doesn't even complain about her act of worship. He complains about what? The value of the gift that she brings to Christ in worship. This instantaneous, this reckless, this scandalous pouring out of her one year's income at the feet of Jesus. Because it's not enough just to bow. And and this hit me. That it's not enough just to bow. And my mind goes back to Advent and, and I love Christmas, you know, and I'm the Christmas guy. So like you know, September, we start Christmas music. And so it brought me back to Advent. I didn't start Christmas music yet. So hang on. Don't get all crazy on me. But yet what I realized, it comes back to Advent. It came back to the story of the Magi. And what do the Magi do? They find Christ. But do they just bow? Remember the story? What do they do? They bring what? Offerings. Gifts. They bring tangible gifts to God. There's something in worship that must be given along with words. Can I share a text with you from the book of Psalms chapter 96? Thank you. I appreciate that. 96 verse 8. It's Psalm 96 verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Underline that part. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Is Yeah, there it is. Come into his courts. I had to read it for a moment. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Worship is not just mental. Worship is not just verbal. Worship is sacrificial. Bring an offering and come into his courts. 
It's this big idea that we're taught here through the life of Mary. It's this idea that it's about giving ourselves. It's about sacrifice. That worship is about service. It's not, those things are not a peripheral of worship. Those things are the very heart of worship. You see, Mary does more than just pour out her heart. Mary does more than just pours out her love at the feet of Christ. She joins her heart and her love with sacrifice and action. That's worship. Well, I think we have to think about that for a moment. Sometimes we rush through the sermon, you know, and, and we don't allow things to kind of sink into our heart, into our mind. That she does more than pour out her heart and her love, but she simply joins that with action and service. It's a New Testament model for worship. That Jesus establishes it at that very moment himself. Why? Because when they begin to complain about her bringing that offering, then what does he do? He says, hey, you guys be quiet. Just close your mouth, you know, close your pie holes, because here's the thing. You're not going to talk about Mary. You're not going to, and he justifies that. He justifies her sacrifice. He qualifies, he defends her. Even in, you know, in verse four, or chapter 14 of the book of Mark, which is a synoptic of this story, Mark 14, that what we find is, and I paraphrase that what Jesus says to them, he says, hey, basically a lot of things that you guys do is going to be forgotten from generations to come, but what Mary is doing before me today will never be forgotten. Wow. Let me read to you from the book of Romans for a moment. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, excuse me, he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul says, hey, this looks different. It's not supposed to look like the world because the church stands in contrast to the world. You and I as believers stand in contrast to the world. It's not that we show them a different way. We talked about this last week, but we show them a better way through our lives that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So here's the thought. Worship Worship is what I'm doing at this very moment. It's what I'm doing right now. It's what I'm doing before you. The teaching is worship. And, and there's no band behind me, right? There's, there's no band. I mean, we could have the band playing right behind me through the whole thing, right? But there's no band. So this is worship. Leading is worship. Serving is worship. Giving is worship. Having gospel conversations is worship. Feeding those that are hungry is worship. Understand that encouraging those that are discouraged, that is worship. This is not above and beyond what worship is. This is worship. This is worship. One of my favorite things to eat is apple pie. Yeah, it is, right? And, and so let's take a survey. How many of you love apple pie? Okay, raise your hand. Oh, that's very good. Put your hands down. How many of you prefer it hot over being cold? Put your, hands, put your hands up. Very good. All right, all the cold people. I don't understand that. You know, you got to heat it up, right? And, and if it's old, if it's like a day old and you heat it up in the, in the microwave, let me tell you what to do. You, you put a big, big hunk of butter on top of it and you melt it in the microwave through it. It will change your life. It will. It will. It will harden your arteries, but it will change your life. Yes, in so many ways. And so I like, I like warm apple pie 
And then what do you put on top of it? Let me hear it. Ice cream. Yes. Yes. Ice cream. You're going to try to find a place that serves apple pie with ice cream, but nobody does during coronavirus. So, okay, understand that. So you got to get this mental image of that. So you take that warm piece of pie, you put that ice cream on top. It starts to melt and run around it, right? The lusciousness of that. You see the apple, the cinnamon that's around the apple inside. Oh, you can smell it, the aroma. It's amazing. But all of a sudden you think, wait a minute, I don't want the ice cream. I'm going to remove it. And you try to scrape the ice cream off the hot piece of pie. And eventually what's going to happen? You're going to actually mess up the pie under the ice cream. That is what I'm talking about this morning. That's what Mary's teaching us about apple pie. No, the fact is that you can't separate worship and action. You cannot separate the two. And if you try, then you're going to affect worship. You can't separate it. Mary is teaching us that. That worship is much more than what I do in here on a Sunday morning. Worship is much more than just me singing along with the songs that they did such an amazing job with today. But worship has to do with my action. It's how I live every day of my life. It's when I have a gospel conversation with someone. It's when I help someone that needs encouraging in life. That is worship. Understand that. Yes. It's not, it's not that action is something that we do on top of worship, like ice cream on a piece of pie. It's not that at all. But yet that it is one in the same. So here's what I've realized about worship. When I read this story, that worship assists us in ordering our lives. Priorities are set on what we value and what we love. If I say I love something, then that's that's something that's priority to me in life. So it may not be the number one priority, but it's high on my list if I say I love it. And, And for Mary, oh, John is very specific in talking about Mary's gift. It it costs 300 denarii. It is simply one year's income and she pours it all at the feet of Jesus. And he talks about that of prioritizing things in our life because what he says is this, you can't love Jesus and you can't love money at the same time. That's what he's saying. It's about that of ordering our lives. What's most important for us? Judas was not the only one disdaining this sacrifice. The 12 were there. The disciples, the other 11 were there. And they were indignant toward Mary. They, they mentioned specifically the cost of that, of the sacrifice. And the point is that you can attend church. You can see the miracles of Christ. You can hear the words of Jesus and still miss the importance of worship within your life. Understand that our priorities can still be wrong. How can you miss that with all these people in this room? How can you live with Jesus as the disciples did and you're still critical of Mary's worship? Listen, they're at Simon's house. Simon was a leper. Have you ever seen pictures of leprosy? People simply die limb by limb, digit by digit. They rot away, but yet his skin is completely clear. Lazarus is there. They had to go back at Lazarus' tomb, take the date of his death and erase it off, you know, because God reversed what the enemy thought was final. There's Andrew and Peter and James and John. They're all former fishermen, but now they're fishers of men. There's Matthew, who was a tax collector. There is Simon, who was a zealot. There's Judas, who was a thief. And she looks around this room. She's overwhelmed, but she asks no one's permission to worship Christ. Not one, because what Christ has done in their life drives her to simply kneel before him. She's focused on the one that's responsible for all the change of the lives in that very room. 
Worship guides us in ordering our lives because we follow what we love in life. We follow what we love in life. Actions are important. But more than that, actions are revealing. Because what we have here is we have this comparison of Mary's heart and Judas's heart. We have a comparison of a true disciple and one of the 12. And, and when I look at that and boy, I really digest all of that and what that means. What I realize is this, that position and privilege are no substitute to faith and obedience in our lives. Ever. Worship assists us in ordering our lives. And so it brings me to this thought. Never lose sight of who's in the room. Mark 14 and 6 says this as a synoptic of what we just read. Mark 14 and 6 says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to to me, he says, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good to them, but you will not always have me. And she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. The text leads us to believe that Mary was unaware of her being used by God to reveal God's plan of redemption. Mary was having a, a gospel conversation for the sake of those in the room. And as we tie all this together and end this this morning, I, I often wondered who is Mary having this conversation for? Is she having it for Judas who is about to forsake Jesus shortly for some money? Is she having this for the 12, the other 11 that were absolutely indignant because they missed what worship simply means? That worship is having gospel conversations. I thought about the setting, you know, for the last time that Mary, who is this sinner, totally unworthy, she anoints Jesus' feet with everything that she has in the world. She, she takes down her hair. Do you know that in Jewish culture, a woman never would take her hair down in public. So this is absolutely scandalous. She lays everything on the line. Nothing is left unchanged about her life. Nothing. She risks everything at this moment. Everything. She's surrounded by changed lives. Simon, who was a leper, and leprosy in that culture was viewed as a result of sin. But now he's cleansed, like you and I are cleansed. There is her brother Lazarus, who was dead, and we know that that was the great weapon of the enemy before Christ came and the resurrection took place, and he brought us life. So there he is alive to represent the life that you and I have in Christ. The room is permeating with the gospel. There's even persecution from those that say they love Jesus. The disciples don't understand. Judas is condemning. Reba sent me a, a devotional this week, boy, that I really needed to read and and it says, what do you do when someone spews discouragement or harmful words? 
are those glares at you? What do you do in life? Because I thought about Mary, how, the, how she must have felt their eyes all on her at that moment. Do you pick those words up? Do you rub them into your heart? And they become part of your identity? Is that what you do? And I think that's so easy for us to do that at times in life. Would it have not have been so easy for Mary to just allowed that condemnation into her heart? But she stays focused on who's in the room. She never responds to her critics. Jesus defends her because he's always enough in our life and he's always the justifier of our lives. She fixes her eyes upon him because it is Jesus that sets the value of her life and not those 12 that has surrounded her. So who have you fixed your eyes upon today? This narrative, they will never let worship just be reduced to words. It'll never allow worship to be reduced to just creed or ritual. Worship may include those things. But it was never designed by God to terminate there. Not for any of us. Worship cannot be just contained in our words alone. But worship is the gift that we bring. And that's ourselves. Everything to God. You see, worship is more than tears and worship is more than emotions. It may include that, but it's more than that. And I think we have to have this mindset as we contemplate what we first thought about worship when I ask you the question. And now applying this story to our first thoughts, maybe how different that is. What do we bring to his feet today? We bring ourselves. That's where it starts. Before anything else in our lives, we bring ourselves. And that is true worship. So for a moment, would you bow your heads here on campus for those of you that are joining us again for church at home, would you bow your heads for a moment and allow me just to pray with you and pray for you. But more than that, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to begin to search your heart and lives. Father, I'm thankful for the scriptures that you've given us. For narratives like this of your servant, your prized possession, Mary. Father, for those in the room that also teach us very valuable lessons. But God, most of all for you. Because you are the one that gave your life for us. You are the one that brought change to Mary's life. And you were the one that brought change to Simon and to Lazarus. You are the one that brought change to your disciples' lives. And you bring change to our life. So when I come to you and worship God, I bring words and action. I bring myself. When I leave this place, God, I don't leave 
a place of worship because I am a place of worship. And so I worship you in moments of conversation. I worship you in moments of benevolence and I worship you in moments of encouragement in the life of others. Because I realize today, God, that I cannot separate my worship from my actions. And that is the kind of church that changes the world. But Father, let it begin with an offering of myself today to you. I give myself to you today, Lord. All my brokenness and all my imperfections, all my struggles, the moments I get it right and the moments I get it wrong. But you never wait for a perfect version of me, Lord. You take me just as I am. So as an act of worship, I lay myself at your feet as a living sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us this morning about true worship. In your name we pray. Amen.